Uh, well, if you're not in the first letter of Peter, what are you doing? No, we are. That's where we're at. We're uh, so First Peter. So please open to First Peter, and that's going to be our study for this morning. Now, I read close to 20 books in preparation for our, our brand new study, and it could have been more than that. I don't know. I didn't really count a whole lot, but I know that it had to be, it'd be at least 20. And, um, and I was blown away with how much they had to say in the introduction to this letter. It's, it's really amazing. I mean, one guy said, boy, you know, we seem to study everything but First Peter. And why don't we study First Peter? And I thought to myself, well, I am. So I'm excited about that. So we're going to study Peter's first epistle here. Now, one commentator said, this one epistle is really all you need to summarize everything the Gospels teach about Jesus Christ. Well, that's a big, wide, sweeping statement. And after reading through First Peter, and as I was reflecting on First Peter, I thought to myself, I think he's right. It is just loaded with everything that is needed to preach Christ. And in just five short chapters, 105 verses, I believe, we have it all, really. Peter just hits in every direction, covering every significant doctrine and touching on every single practical direction we need to live the Christian life. And it's just incredible. Now to get started, I want us to look at one verse. And it's the very first one. So look there in your Bibles at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. And it says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen. And we'll stop right there. As we get to our study, the first thing that popped out to me in reading throughout this letter is the word suffering. You need to take note of that word if you're really going to understand 1 Peter. In chapter 1, verse 7, he talked about the testing that comes our way through trials for the proof of faith. And then it says, tested by fire. In chapter 2, verse 20, but if you do what is right and you suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. Chapter 2, verse 23, he speaks of Jesus having suffered for us as our example. In chapter 3, verse 14, but even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness. In chapter 3, verse 17, suffer for doing what is right rather than doing what is wrong. Chapter 4, verse 1, he who has suffered in the flesh. Chapter 4, verse 13, to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ. Chapter 5, verse 1, Peter, a fellow witness of the sufferings of Christ. Chapter 
5, verse 10, after you have suffered for a little while. And listen, I didn't hit every place where he talks about suffering. Those are just a handful. And that's where I want to really start at this morning, is talking about suffering. And how did Peter get to this place where this was a theme for him? Now to really get this whole letter, you have to understand the background, and so I want to introduce it to you. And you really need to understand one man named Nero. He was the emperor, the Caesar of the day. And actually, you need to understand one date in history. Write this date down, July 19th, 64 A.D. You say, what is so significant about July 19th, 64 A.D.? Nero, being the Roman emperor, he lusted for power but not in the way you think. He wasn't like Alexander who wanted to basically rule everything and everyone and everywhere. That actually wasn't Nero's passion. Nero had a lust for expansion, but in this way. He desired more buildings to be built. He loved the design in the building of of buildings, believe it or not. It spoke to him for whatever reason, possibly to kind of show the ornateness of his leadership and rulership. And he wanted to to, to build better buildings in Rome. He felt that there should be better buildings. Maybe, I guess you could say, he was sort of the cosmopolitan of his day. He was the guy that, uh, for him, I guess you could say he was an in vogue kind of guy. Uh, He liked liked shiny and new. To him, history didn't matter a whole lot. Now something to understand about Rome is Rome was very narrow and very crowded. It was dense. It was, um, there were lots of houses and little space and lots of people And history tells us, in order for Nero to make more room to build more, he just simply lit some houses on fire, just to get rid of them. Upon doing that, in his insanity of evil, he just sat back and watched as it all burned, as Rome burned down. In fact... Most of the city was burnt down. And in that fire, most of Rome's culture was burnt all the way down. The art, the literature, many of the statements of her past just burnt to the ground. And he didn't care. Just sat there and watched it. In fact, his soldiers were commanded to not do anything about it. When people call out for rescue, do not help them. Now the people were just absolutely outraged and enraged. 
with this. They, they knew this was Nero. And so they put pressure on him and upon all the pressure that they put on him with regards to this insane thing, he came up with an alibi and he said, that, well, the Christians did it. It wasn't me. They did it. Now at this time, both Paul and Peter were connected to Rome and Paul was possibly abroad in ministry but soon would be locked up in Rome awaiting his death. Peter appears to be here in Rome. How could the people believe the Christians would do something like this easily? The people already hated Christians. You say, why did they hate the Christians? Well, you could pick your reason for many, I mean, Lots of Jews lived in Rome and they hated the Jews and the Christians were friendly to the Jews even though the Jews were not friendly back to them. Paul and Peter had no problem starting in synagogues when it came to their ministry. They were not trying to avoid the Jews. They were trying to befriend the Jews. And so they hated them for their connection to the Jews. They hated them for their communion services because in their communion services they would... It was told to them, eat the flesh of Christ. And that sounded a whole lot like cannibalism to them. How about the holy kiss? They, the people, the public, the world twisted that to talk about the affection of believers that they had for one another saying, look at this, this must be twisted, it must be perverse, it must be something horrible. They're probably having orgies or something like that in behind closed doors. And so they fabricated stories. You had many women coming to faith in Christ and leaving the pagan worship and the idolatry and just wrecking the Roman view of the home in their eyes. And so when Nero blamed the Christians for starting a fire, they just simply accepted it. So, well, of course. Now up to this time, there wasn't really any persecution against Christians, but from this time forward, Nero really got it started pretty good. And within a few years, it spread to Roman colonies like Bithynia and Pontus and Cappadocia and Asia and Galatia. Now it's at this time that Peter writes this, his letter to the churches in that area. He comes writing as a shepherd. He feels for them, in fact, he can feel more because he's right there in Rome. And if you notice, he writes two letters. Notice another thing. In First Peter, he sort of prepares them for the upcoming persecution. In First Peter, he says, with regards to persecution, guys, it's coming. In Second Peter, he says, it's here. 
Now, I tell you all that to help you understand why Peter has so much to say about suffering. He is getting them ready to have a theology that can match that. Oh boy, do we need this right now. I don't know about you, but America is not exactly super friendly these days to Christians. It's coming. I stand with Peter in saying, it's coming. First Peter is the message that says, it's coming. Now, after studying this whole letter, and taking in all the themes that I could see here, and considering the background of this letter, I actually, this is true, I could show you, I actually came up with 15 different titles for this, what I would do at first period. I I kid you not, this looks like it's this direction. You know, you read the commentary and say, well, Peter covers a lot of themes, he goes in a lot of of areas. I I was thankful to see that, because that's kind of how I took it. It's not an easy one to outline, or an easy one to really give a thematic, kind of a main thread and theme, But here's where I landed, and I want you to pay attention. It's there in the very top of your notes. Grace, here's the the, the theme, I believe, the title. Grace-driven living in the face of a suffering-pressured life. That's 1 Peter. Grace-driven living in the face of a suffering-pressured life. That is what Peter wants them to get. Listen. He wants them to understand true grace overcomes the world's hostility every time. You want to overcome the world? You want to overcome all the pressures it brings against you? Then stand in true grace. It makes us able to handle any kind of suffering in life. Any kind, any kind. If you've tasted suffering, you need First Peter. Now, if you needed a verse to hang your hat on for that one, turn to chapter 5. I'll help you. Verse 10, we'll start there. After you have suffered for a little while. I like the fact that he said a little while, right? We don't know what a little while means. I mean, days, weeks, months, years? I don't know. The God of all grace. You see what it says next? The God of all grace. After you have suffered a little while. See how he connects suffering to grace? But then look at verse 12. I have written to you briefly. Oh, by the way, this is a dream for a pastor. Whenever they say, here's, what I, here's my theme. And you kind of, oh, hey, thank you for writing my message for me. Appreciate it. Verse 12, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that, here it is, this is the true grace of God, stand firm in it. There's your theme. Now, when he says this, he's talking about the entire letter. This entire letter is the true grace of God, stand firm in it.
this letter is what you need to stand firm, to stand firm on in order to, for you to face the suffering of a pressured life. You understand that? That's, that's why this is the theme. Pressures that come your way. Pressures that come from the government. Pressures from our own flesh in trying to just live a holy life. Pressures from circumstances outside of our control. Pressures from an unbelieving spouse. Pressures from prideful members even of the church. Suffering comes from many directions. And Peter says, I've given you the true grace of God to be able to handle it. Hold on to it. I mean, even when life seems unfair to you. And in fact, that's what you're going to see all throughout First Peter is he describes all kinds of unfair situations. And he says, hold on to that grace. You look at this letter and it is obvious that the people are in a time of suffering. And you know, beloved, if, if you're not in that time right now, you will be. It is inevitable as long as sin exists. So what this epistle is going to teach, what it's going to do is teach us how to have victory over suffering. Victory in suffering. And by the way, you'll find that he doesn't give the answer that many charismatic churches give. So many charismatic churches are trying to tell us, to, here's the secret on how to get, a, get, a, to, to, to get away from suffering. To not have it at all. And they'll tell you that suffering is from the evil one, is something satanic, and you're not going to find that here in 1 Peter, oddly enough. He doesn't say that at all. He says suffering is something that God can use in the life of a Christian. Learn how to use it for good. He's going to teach us all kinds of things. He's going to teach us how to have joy, how to stay pure in it, how to be submissive to authority in the face of that suffering, how to be in a difficult marriage, how to live in the midst of pressures from the world that tries to get you to sin like it is sinning. Be like us, the world says. How to get our motivation by the fact that Jesus Christ is coming back again. Suffering's going to teach you that. And that's an answer all throughout this letter to suffering for Peter. Just get your mind locked in on the fact that Jesus Christ is coming back again. You do that and you'll be able to handle suffering. Now one other thing. This letter is just loaded with theology and with doctrine. I mean, by the way, you read our doctrinal statement and you'll notice it's divided into ten major doctrines. Peter touches on every single one. It's unbelievable. 
We're going to learn about who God is, the triune God. We're going to learn about election. We're going to learn about foreknowledge. We're going to learn about predestination. We're going to learn about redemption and the blood of Christ, about the doctrine of Scripture, about the doctrine of the church in chapter 2 and in chapter 5, about the difference between the two baptisms, about spiritual gifts, about how to handle lust, about eldership, about pride and humility. We're going to learn about it all. All right. Let's start with the very first verse. In fact, are you ready? I only want to study one word in this first verse, and it's the very first word. It's true. Look at it. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'll tell you, beloved, I read many, many commentaries, and they spent many, many pages on who the author of this letter is. I kid you not. I kid you not. I shared that with my wife. I, I, there was this one author, I, and I'm telling you, I'm not exaggerating when I say this, over 80 pages trying to help us understand who the author is. And I think to myself, it took me exactly 10 seconds to figure it out. <laughs> I stopped reading. I said, this is ridiculous. I'm, I don't need this. Now, by the way, nobody in the early church struggled with who wrote this. None. I mean, I don't know if we're smarter for, for doing this type of stuff. He tells us he wrote it, Peter. And you know, by the way, there's only one Peter that was an apostle of Jesus Christ. That also makes it easy for me. So we're not going to waste our time trying to figure out who wrote this. And you can give yourself whatever accent you need to, to, to you know, you know, Peter... Hitter, whatever. All right? We don't know how he actually said it. But there you go. That's as deep as we're going to get that way. And by the way, there's one massive reason why we know that Peter wrote this besides the fact that he tells us he wrote it. And this ties into what the rest of our study is going to be this morning. And it is because this letter is connected to the very lessons and experiences that Peter learned walking with Jesus. And you see it over and over and over and over. That's what I want to look at. All right. Now, you remember what Jesus called him? Why I say this is, you know, his, his birth name was Simon. His birth name was Simon, right? It's always very important to know names, right? We have a guy that's doing contracting work for us, and um, I call him Chad. I say that because that's what I've always known him as until just about a month ago when I realized his name is really Tim. (laughs) Now, understand something. There are people that actually call him Chad, and I don't know why. And I guess I was listening to the wrong people. (laughs) My wife kept telling me, hey, Tim says this or that. I'm like... I don't know about Tim, but Chad's the one doing the work on our place over here. So it's important to know where names come from, right? His birth name was Simon, and Jesus renamed him. And you know what he renamed him? I love it. Rock. That's always a, that's a pretty stout name. I mean, if you're, if you, if you get the nickname Rock, I don't know. I feel like that you're, that's saying something, right? Rock. 
And what we can see is, and by the way, Peter, the name, the word Peter, that, that means rock. It's a, there's different forms of it. Sometimes it can mean big um, bedrock, and sometimes it can just mean stone. Petra, Petros. And what we can see is that Peter sort of had five stages of being this rock. You could call this his rock formation. Sorry. It really is. So I want to help us with understanding what kind of rock was Peter. When you understand this, you'll understand how all of his experience has helped him become the leader that he was to the church. And in fact, you really understand about him as a leader. Leadership principles by studying his life. Now I'm going to give you these five as a sort of hooks to hang your thoughts on about Peter. Now, here the first one. We could say, what kind of rock was Peter like? Well, he was, first of all, a transitioning rock. He's transitioning rock. What does that mean? Well, <laughs> I'll show you. Turn to John for 1 for a moment. But this is sort of Peter, maybe you could say it this way, transitioning from dirt to just jagged rock. Okay? And we first meet him in John chapter 1, verse 42. Peter's brother Andrew had just uh, been introduced to Jesus while hanging out with his good friend John. And, he, and they, he came to him and he said to Peter, this is Andrew, he says to Peter, Hey, we have found the Messiah. And then verse 42, he brought him to Jesus. And I think that is just a wonderful trait about his brother Andrew. Because every time we see Andrew, he's bringing people to Jesus. Isn't that good? Wouldn't it be wonderful if that's what you were known for? Always taking people to Jesus. And so verse 42, Jesus looked at Peter and he said, now remember he hadn't hadn't met him yet. And he sees him for the very first time, although he had known him his whole life. You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas. And the word Cephas, it says, which is translated is Peter. And the word Cephas in Aramaic means rock. Or stone. Same thing for the word Petros or Peter. Greek for, for rock or stone. So the first thing that Jesus does right at the outset is to rename him Rock. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not sure. I mean, I don't know what the culture was like back then. I mean, today we, we'd say that sometimes that's a kind of a, like a not a nice thing to say about somebody, you know. You're as dense as a, okay, right? You know, okay? You've got rocks for, right? I mean, sometimes we say things like that. So I don't know how it was meant back then, but maybe it was meant in, you know, in terms culturally, in a way that was positive, where you could say, whoa, you're saying something profound, something big, something important about me, about maybe where I'm going, about what I'm going to be like. In other words, Jesus is giving Simon a preview of his whole life. You can summarize your whole life, Simon, this way. You're going to be a rock. Rock. 
Now, from that time on, you could sort of explain him by his names. Simon, that's him, that's him as the old man, old, old guy life, okay? B.C. days before Christ, okay? This is, uh, Simon is, 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 is the man chasing the fisherman's dream, okay? Peter, the name Peter is uh, the new man, the new life, the believer, the one who's redeemed, the one who is a follower of Christ, who is sturdy and strong like the rock. But sometimes Jesus calls him Simon Peter. And that's fascinating to me because when he does that, he's usually telling him, hey, you're a little, you're a mixture of both right now, okay? And there's one that you need to stop being, and there's one you need to start being, right? You're acting like the old guy in the flesh. See? So it's, it's good and important to know his name, because all throughout the scriptures you'll see him this way. And by the way, in, in John, uh, he's always Simon Peter, and I don't know if that's John's way of saying well, let's just cut to the chase. Sometimes he was on the right side and sometimes he was on the left side, right? Now Matthew 4 tells us that all four of these guys, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they were all fishermen. Peter and Andrew were, were sons of a guy named Jonas or John and James and John were sons of Zebedee and Zebedee was a well-known fisherman. He, in fact, had a fisherman business. And they were all four a part of the Zebedee fishing business. And Peter was, he was really proud of it. It was his life. It was his identity up to now. You say, how do you know that it was his identity? Matthew 4, Jesus calls them all away from it. Verse 19, he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now, Peter of the four, Peter's the only one that Jesus had to repeat that Two, that tells me being a fisherman was a bigger deal to Peter than probably the other three. This was his identity. And by the way, you get to Luke chapter 5, a little bit time later, and Peter is still fishing. Jesus goes to Peter... Speaking of Luke 5, Jesus goes to Peter, and they'd been following Jesus, but sort of going back and forth. And Peter had been fishing all night, and he had caught nothing. And Jesus says, hey, put your net on the other side. But Peter's he's kind of a stubborn guy. But there is a positive spin on that. There's, there's some raw material to work with here, Right? Now, for Jesus to make a leader out of Peter, he had to work with this raw material. And that is this, that Peter always spoke his mind. Here's a guy, you never had to wonder, I wonder what Peter's thinking about this. Wait a moment, there you go. He's going to say it. He's going to say it. He's got, he, just, he can't just not talk. He's got to. They might have had to say about John, I wonder what John is thinking. They never said that about Peter.
And so uh, he says, put your net on the other side. Peter says, all right, I'll do what you say. And of course, Jesus directed all the fish right into that net. And what did Peter learn? Listen very carefully. Peter learned that his own sin was keeping him from fully following Jesus. From going after Jesus Christ in a full way. I mean, what kind of a fisherman are you? You can't even catch a single fish. Jesus is telling him, I don't think you're going to be a real good fisherman. Now, he didn't call him because he didn't think he was a good fisherman. He Remember, he had to make the fish stay away from the net. And then he sent them in to make his point. Verse 8. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. And listen, you don't want me. He realized it at that point. I'll just ruin what you got. I mean, I'm selfish. You know my heart. I mean, I'm not even good at my trade, right? I mean, in other words, I can't be better than you even at my own trade. Jesus says, well, when you say that, you're just the kind of guy I'm looking for. That's what I want. I want somebody that can admit that. Yes, you're outspoken. Yes, you're impulsive. But you see your sin. And now you know you're not good enough. Welcome. You're broken so that I can use you, Peter. So Jesus says, from now on, you will be catching men. I like that. So you can say Peter was a transitioning rock. The transition was leaving his old life to follow Jesus Christ. He had to leave his sin to admit that he's not really rock, that he's more like dirt. Okay? Now the second part of Peter's life that becomes a life lesson to him to help him write First Peter, we see him not only as a transitioning rock, but we see him, secondly, as a buffered rock. A buffered rock. rock that's been buffered. My, my father owns a tumbler, and uh, he finds rocks that, that just are weathered and beaten and clumped with uh, sedentary stuff all over it, and he puts it into the tumbler, and he gets this tumbler going. And last time I was visiting him, he was showing me all these... Various rocks that he had. That's great. But actually, they were pretty amazing because uh, he showed me what they were before and he showed me what they were after through the tumbler and these things just sparkled. And it was like they were something completely else. And all from the little spinning tumbler that just cleans it all up. Now in the Gospels, we see Peter in the tumbler. And he needs to be buffed out. But I think the place to start here is that Jesus chose him. He's one of the twelve apostles. And what stands out is that he's a leader. He can't help but always leading, right? 
Now, for example, you look at the list of the apostles and every list, did you know this? In every list that Peter's first? Every list. And the reason why is because he's the leader. It wasn't as though Jesus said, I got to get you to be an extrovert, Peter. Let's make you into a leader. No. He was that from the get-go. Jesus just said, okay, whoa. Whoa, Mr. Wild Horse. We're going to tame you. We're going to bring you in the direction that you need to be going. Now, Jesus calls Peter away from his fishing life to fish for men. Jesus gives all the disciples these instructions after his resurrection, go to Galilee and wait for me there on a mountain. Remember that? Go, wait for me in a mountain. Matthew 28. Jesus had picked a mountain for them to wait on. And they were supposed to do that. And you get to John chapter 21 and that's what they're doing for a hot minute. John 21, another list of names, and notice that Peter's name is first. But notice also, Simon Peter. Oh boy, here we go. You know, the disciples always follow Peter. They followed him, by the way, when they weren't following Jesus. So they're in Galilee. And Peter says, I'm done waiting. Got to do something. I'm, not, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a active guy. I'm a guy that's got to move his feet and work with his hands. What do you think he's going to do? He's going to go fishing, right? And you know, they all follow him to do that because he's a leader even when disobeying the Lord. So, they're supposed to be on the mountain. He says, not me. They go, all right, let's go. And so you know the story. Jesus comes to the beach and and they're out there fishing. And John says, hey, it's the Lord. And Peter jumps into the water and he runs to him. And you know, at this time, Peter has denied Christ and he, he must have had a guilty heart. But what stands out to me is he's still running to him. He didn't stay in the boat saying, oh, he doesn't, he doesn't want to talk to me. That tells me that even with all that guilt, listen very close, that Jesus is still approachable. Understand that? This is the Lord that we serve. Peter still wanted to be close to Jesus. He's not telling Jesus, depart from me anymore. Okay. So, now our Lord knew that Peter needed to to learn some lessons on leadership because, you know, Peter is... um, He's gifted that way to lead, and, and he had to learn how to lead well. And he said, why is that? Think about this with me. Ephesians 2.20. He needed to learn how to lead well because of the role of the apostles. What's the role of the apostles? Ephesians 2.20. The church, having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. See, the apostles, they were supposed to lay down the foundation of the church. And, what's the foundation of the church, by the way? It's Acts 2.42, the doctrine, okay? 
going to give the doctrine that the church is supposed to believe and teach. Lay it down. How? Teach it. And that's why in Acts 6, they said we have to serve, uh, to have others serve in the church so that we can give attention to the ministry of the word because that's how the Lord's going to grow his church. Now watch this. And you remember that the apostles had power to heal and do miracles. And, and they did this early in the church. Why? Second Corinthians 12.12, 12, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with all per- perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. And the miracle power then authenticated the apostles' teaching as they laid, as they laid down the foundation for the church. Okay, So you had... Apostles, apostles were given power, apostles taught the word, they laid the word down as a foundation, and to prove that the thing that they were teaching was the right thing, he gave them power to do that. So that that foundation was laid. By the way, what do you do when a foundation is all done and being laid? You stop laying a foundation, don't you? And then the power for that was no longer needed. You understand that with with regards to miracles and healing? It's connected to that. Now, what they taught was that the church was what the church needed to believe and to follow. And that means that it had to be accurate and trusted and brought to the church not only with authority, but with love and patience and all of that kind of stuff. And, you know, you can believe what these guys are teaching. And you look at the power, and it's the character that it's going to keep them from abusing that kind of power. By the way, today we get it so backwards. We've got all these supposed healers today that have faulty teaching and watered down teaching and false teaching the reason why the Lord gave the power was to back the teaching if you're not going to teach right why would the Lord give you power it's not the power was for teaching if those that heal today or that say that they heal today, really are healers, they should be the greatest teachers in the church today, teaching the strongest doctrine. You don't see that. That's helpful for me. Why would God give power to men who have bad teaching? So the whole point was to verify that this was the teaching of Jesus Christ, that the word still lives. Now, why am I telling you all this? Now, listen. Because Peter is going to be the leader of all this. I mean, he's not there yet. And along the way, you just see him, you know, though, even though he's not there yet, it's so interesting to me. He makes these incredible Statements, and he's always making connections and then making statements, and he's passionate and he's outspoken. And, and, you know, by the way, Jesus spoke to Peter more than any of the other disciples. And on the other hand, no other disciple spoke out and even against, spoke out to and even against 
Jesus than Peter. Let me show you some examples in our Lord's school of leadership shaping. Here's Peter, always talking, right? Always asking questions, always making statements. Matthew 18, remember? It's, it's Peter who asked Jesus, how many times should we forgive a person who has wronged us? So many places we can look at, but let me just direct you to John chapter 6. You can turn there if you want to see this. It's right around verses 60 through 71. Now, after many disciples left Jesus because of his hard teaching, Jesus asked this question. This is such a uh, pivotal question for them. He says, yeah, all these disciples that left him, he says to them, you don't want to go away also, do you? Can you imagine what a question like that did to Peter, who's always has something to say and is always ready to say something? You don't have to imagine. It's right there. This is a man who has given up his whole career, his whole life to follow Jesus Christ. It's kind of a, a, a it's it's a kind of question that is both inquiry and confrontation. When Jesus says, "You don't want to go away," also do you? Peter, it says, and he just can't wait. He has to say it, Lord. To whom shall we go? He says, I mean, listen, I am all in. I love that. But then he says this, you have the words of eternal life. And I don't don't even know if he fully knew what he was talking about. You know, Peter speaks for the whole group. We... He then goes on to say this, We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Again, tremendous. What he is saying is unbelievable, but I don't even know that he really knows what he's talking about. And I can prove that in a moment. I'll prove it in a moment. But he is always trying to speak the truth and with all his passion and conviction and always asking questions. And by the way, you look at those things and that's the mark of a good leader, a great leader. One who asks questions. He asks the questions that the others are afraid to ask or don't even think of asking. Now, another thing that really stands out with Peter is that he was not afraid to make mistakes. You remember Matthew 14? Jesus comes to the disciples walking on water. And they're all in the boat. And they're not sure who it is. And one of them says, I think it's the Lord. That's all Peter needed. It's got to be, he was thinking to himself. It's got to be. He's not afraid to make mistakes though. Peter says, "Um, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. Now no one in the boat is thinking like that. Not a one. They're all going, let's see, water, boat is floating on top of it. You will sink. Now, that's not even in my mind. Peter says, make me walk on this water like you are. You know, that's Peter always wants. He's wanting. Listen, he gets it. But Jesus said, follow me. Peter understood. Oh, you want me to be like you. You're walking on water. Then I want to walk on water. That's how it works. Well, Peter does. And, and he walks by faith for just a moment. And eventually he sinks. And Jesus res- rescues him. And uh, there's lots of lessons, I'm sure, there. But 
But here's what I want you to see. Peter is the only one that thought about that and that asked Jesus to do that. And Jesus met him there. You understand that? That's Peter. Raw material to work with and for Jesus to grow him with. And in all these times with Peter saying stuff and questioning stuff, listen, our Lord just says with him, hey, come, right? And he stays with him and is just patient and slow and faithful to Peter. I like that. Peter made the one big statement in John 6. Jesus has all the words we need for life. He makes another one in Matthew 16. Remember this one? Jesus says, who do the people say that I am? The disciples said, they told him who the people did. And then then Jesus turns it on them. He says, all right, okay. But who do you say that I am? This is the uncomfortable question. Let's get personal. Well, guess who speaks first? Again, he just can't wait. Impetuous. Impulsive. Verse 16. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's an incredible testimony. Jesus says, well... Great answer. You didn't even come up with it yourself, did you, Peter? Peter probably would say, well, yeah, I have no idea why I said that. I just said it. I just said it. It's the first thing that came into my mind. I know. But this time, it was the Spirit that put that in your mind. See? And that's when Jesus says, you are Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church. And again, did Peter know what he was fully talking about? No, but that's why Jesus told him the flesh and blood didn't reveal it to him. And it helped Peter understand the great confession needed to build the church, that is, that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Savior, the answer to all our sins, that He is God the Son. That's the truth the church would be built on, Jesus said. And not only the words of Jesus, but the fact that Jesus is God the Son. And He declared the foundation for the church by saying that. That's what we're built on. So much love for Christ too. Peter just loved him, right? Remember uh, John chapter 13? All might leave you. I will never leave you. Okay? But that was love speaking when he said that. I mean, he had great statements Peter also had great failure. And so he was, thirdly, a sinking rock. He was a sinking rock. There were low parts to Peter's time with Jesus, times of rejection where he was more like a sinking rock. Now stay in Matthew 16 in thought here. And even in this interaction, I think Peter's motive is love for, for Christ to some degree, but he's, he's really spiritually mature. And so verse 21, Jesus tells them that he's going to be killed, and, but he'll be raised up on the third day. Peter says, Lord, God forbid it. Huh. Now watch this. Peter was the master of the superlative, okay? He's the master of it. This shall never happen to you. Never? 
oh, are you going to stop it? You? You're the same guy that sank in the water when you were walking on it for just five seconds, right? That's when Jesus calls him Satan, by the way. Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. And there you get what sinks Peter all the time, and that is where his mind is. Where his mind is. His mind. It sinks him every time. It does us too, doesn't it? Things go from his mind to his mouth pretty quickly and often, and it's pretty humbling to learn that you're being used you know, by Satan and not by God. I mean, just moments earlier, Jesus told him flesh and blood didn't reveal what Peter had said. And so moments earlier, he was, you know, had God's words in his mouth. And now he has Satan's words in his mouth. And he's sort of like a seesaw, right? I mean, that's how it was with Peter. One moment, God, and the next moment, Satan. I mean, this guy, so much like us though, right? Same thing in Matthew 26. Jesus told them, you will, you will all fall away. It is written that that will happen. Jesus said that in Matthew 26, okay? Scripture says that that's going to happen. Here's Peter. This is Peter's response to Jesus saying, Scripture says this is what's going to happen. Peter's response. Even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Huh. Really? (laughs) I mean, he says it with such conviction and with such boldness. I mean, Scripture obviously never heard of a guy like me. I'm the exception. (laughs) You know, beloved, that's raw material right there. Leaders always think they can handle anything. But Jesus is so patient with them The The thing that all leaders have to learn, though, is this, humility. Jesus told him, you're going to deny me three times. Peter says, even if I have to die, I will not deny you. Oh, Peter. Luke 22, same thing. Now, in that passage, Jesus even tried to help him by telling him that he's prayed for Peter to recover after it does happen. But again, Peter's response, it won't happen. It's almost like he's telling Jesus, hey, trust me, I've got your back. Huh. How come I don't feel better because of that? You saying that. He had to learn the lesson of humility. But before getting too hard on Peter, listen, everybody does fall away. But you know what? He was the only one that stayed close. Jesus was arrested, Peter followed, and that's when he got into trouble and was accused by a crowd of being one of his followers, and that's when he denied Christ three times. And the third time, you remember what happened? Jesus looked right at him. I'm sure that that look stayed with him for the rest of his life. Same thing in John 13. Jesus said, I'm going, and where I'm going, you cannot follow for now. Peter spoke up, why? I'll lay, my down, lay, lay down my life for you, Jesus. Jesus said, no, 
actually, I will lay down my life for you. Remember, Peter even tried to stop Jesus from washing his feet. <laughs> He's always trying to stop Jesus. What is it with this guy, right? You can you just picture the other disciples going, hey, just let him go. Why are you trying to stop him? He's the Lord. He's the one you call Lord and Master. Look, I know you're Lord, and your plans are usually pretty good. But I, I think I've got a pretty good handle on things. That's Peter. Jesus says, no, you don't. You know, I love it in that same passage. He says, well, if I don't wash your feet, then you have no part with me. Oh, wash everything then. He's what he said. To, like he, That's how Peter is. So quickly turns. So wait, whoa, okay, good. All right, you said it. No arguing. There we go. That's the lesson for the leader he needed to become. You don't have a handle on things, Peter. Admit it. Admit it. Depend on Christ. Lean on the Spirit to lead you. Learn humility that way. Proverbs 3, right? All right. Peter was a transitioning rock. He was a buffered rock. He was a sinking rock. He was a, fourth, a refurbished rock. Uh, There you go. He was refurbished. Listen, Peter failed big. And uh, Jesus had to sort of recommission him, didn't he? So John 21, remember the scene? This is that go to the mountain and wait time. He goes fishing. He goes to the old occupation. By the way, he catches nothing. The Lord made sure that all the fish stayed away. That's really helpful. By the way, there's a lesson there. Don't go back. You ever tried doing that as a believer, trying to go back to the old life, and you realize, oh yeah, that doesn't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. What am I doing? Yeah, it doesn't work. You're new. You're different. He's given you a different mission. He thought to himself, I'm going to go back, do the thing, one thing I'm good at, and he couldn't even do that anymore. I didn't call you to that anymore, Peter. Stop. You belong to me. Do the work that I have for you. And that's when Jesus takes Peter on a walk and he asks him three times, Do you love me? That must have stung, by the way. Do you love me more than these things? What things? Anything that takes you away from the mission. Do you love me more than that? What's the mission? Shepherd my sheep. Tend my sheep. Take care of them. Make make more of them. Fish for men. I mean, you're fishing for the wrong thing. What's needed? Love. Love for Christ. I need you to love me more than anything else. What a leadership lesson. Love for Christ. If you do if you do it for anything else, by the way, Peter, you'll just sink. And by the way, if you do it for anything else, beloved, you'll sink just as fast as Peter. See. The 
leadership lesson is you need to love Christ more than anything else. Now, did Peter learn the lessons? Yeah. Let me show you. In at least eight ways. These go pretty quick. But here's our tie. We're about to get into First Peter. First, Jesus taught him to be submissive to the authorities. Remember that? That lesson back in Matthew 17, the coin in the fish's mouth, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Did he learn that? First Peter 2, 13 and 17. Yeah. Second lesson, he learned about restraint against evil. Jesus was arrested. And you remember what Peter did? He went and grabbed the sword and started swinging crazily wherever he could hit, you know, anything. All he could get was an ear. You remember what Jesus said? He said, put the sword back. And what did Peter learn? He learned 1 Peter 2.21-25. to To not revile. To have restraint. Third, he learned humility. Jesus told him that he would deny him and Peter stubbornly refused that. So prideful. First Peter 5.5, 5, he learned humility. Fourth, he learned grace for forgiveness. Remember when Peter asked how many times that, that uh, should we forgive our offenders? First Peter 1.18, the blood for forgiveness. First Peter 2.3, if you have tasted kindness. And Peter did. The kindness of the Lord, it says. Fifth, he learned the lesson of sacrifice. Remember when he asked about whether John would suffer like he was going to suffer? Remember what Jesus said? None of your business, right? You know, you read the whole letter of First Peter and it's him telling us how to suffer in a godly way as a Christian. Sixth, he learned the lesson of love. Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? In First Peter 4, 8, we get the answer. As Peter is exhorting us to fervently love others. He does that in chapter 1, verses 22 to 25 too. Seventh, he learned the lesson of courage. Again, 1 Peter 4, 19, entrust yourselves to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Chapter 5, your adversary goes around prowling like a lion seeking to devour you. He understood that. And then eighth, the lesson on perseverance. Jesus said, when you come back, strengthen your brothers. 1 Peter 5.10, that's just the reason why he's writing 1 Peter, to strengthen brothers in the Lord. Here he is. And you know something? Maybe he didn't realize that when Jesus said that in Luke 22, that by writing 1 Peter, he would be strengthening millions of brothers throughout history. That's amazing. Peter became a refurbished rock. See, one last one. He, he was also a faithful rock, or you could say a solid rock. Peter became a leader to the church, right? You can't help but see it. Read Acts. You read Acts and you say, is this the same Peter? 
first 12 chapters are all about Peter and his leadership to the church. And you remember he gave uh, the first sermon from Joel chapter 2 and Acts 2 and he was so bold in how he preached and he preached repentance. And the Lord saved 3,000 on that day and Peter is used to heal the lame guy in Acts 3. And Acts chapters 4 and 5, there's threats to the church and we see Peter responding to those threats in a godly way. And you see him confronting Simon and Acts 8, who wanted to purchase the Holy Spirit and His power, and he brings the gospel to the Gentiles at Cornelius' house in Acts chapter 10. This is Peter in faithfulness as a shepherd. Now, how faithful was Peter? He wrote to these precious believers in this area called Pontus, Bithynia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Galatia, knowing the pressures around him were so bad that he might lose his life, and so might they, and he wanted to do what he could to encourage the church as a faithful shepherd. Galatians 2, he was called to a ministry to the Jews to bring them the gospel, and he did, right? History tells us Peter was married. He stayed faithful to his wife. You want to know what faithfulness to your wife looks like? Nero ordered for him to be crucified in his wife and to teach him a lesson to really make it miserable for him. They made him watch his wife get crucified first. When he came to Peter, he said, I'm not worthy to be crucified in the way that my Lord was. Crucify me upside down. He learned what Jesus said in Matthew 4 and Luke 5, that he would become a fisher of men. And no wonder he said what he said in 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4, about being a shepherd. How faithful was Peter? Because of his commitment to do just what Jesus said, we have the Gospel of Mark. In these two letters, First and Second Peter, and all of that is in the first words of First Peter one one. Look at them again. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Peter was the rock. And he learned things the hard way, and all those lessons are good for us too, right? And that we would learn what Peter learned. And we're gonna as we study first Peter, we're gonna learn these lessons. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, then you are a rock like Peter. You will, you are a rock like Peter, no doubt, that needs the buffering and the growing. And may the Lord do that growth in you and I right here in this church so that we, like Peter, might have this ministry of being fishers of men. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, Lord. And we're going to get to it and we want to understand it. And but, but for a moment, we wanted to take time to think about Peter. What a precious, precious servant to you, Lord. And oh, that we would be like Peter and even growing and being the kind of leader that he was. And help us to never be afraid to step out in faith and even make mistakes to grow to be like you. It's not that we want to sin or even want to make mistakes, but 
but that we would be willing to walk on the ground that you call us to walk on. Help us, Father. And uh, we pray, O Lord, if there are any that don't know you, that you would stir in their hearts and move them to place faith in Christ for the salvation of their soul. We pray for this in Jesus' name.